0: We live in a fantasy world now. Reality has been
1: destroyed. This is the time that we really need to pay attention. The probabilities are overwhelmingly on gold's side.
2: That
0: is the best environment to see gold increase its value.
1: Welcome to Palisades Gold Radio. I'm your host, Tom Bodrovich. Joining me today is Peter Grandich from Peter Grandich & Company. Thanks for joining me today, Peter. Tom, it is truly always a pleasure to speak with you. Absolutely you too. It's good to have you back on the show and I'd like to start by talking a little bit about why you think we didn't have a recession last year as many people were expecting, and if you think that makes it much worse when it actually gets here
0: Well, the answer to the latter part, yes, and that's why I've been in the twenty twenty four camp was not in the twenty twenty three camp in twenty twenty two uh continuing massive money being created despite the claims of tightening uh The BLS, which is supposed to be responsible for providing adequate uh, opinions on where the labor force is at, and they really should just take the L out of their name and just call it the BS, because uh, when you have 11 out of 12 months have to be uh, redone and all restructured lower to where the net result was, there was almost a half of million jobs less than reported, throw in a just a outdated and 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 manipulated birth death model that they use the the labor picture was a lot worse than than was made up to uh we still have consumers again we just saw it last week tom seven tenths of one spend seven tenths is consumer spending three tenths is personal income if you're spending seven dollars but you're only earning three (laughs) dollars You got to make up the difference, and they continue to borrow and borrow and borrow, and that has forestalled the inevitable. But I'll tell you what is has been happening, Tom, and all it is. It doesn't get headlines. It's certainly not discussed in the Wall Street financial media, but in the real world, it's happening in big time. Talk to anybody in the food bank business; they'll tell you it's double to triple the amount of people online, and more and more people of working class and levels higher than you imagine. We have. We have 65% of Americans working paycheck to paycheck, and we now have a large share of Americans having to use credit cards just to pay for necessities. So, Tom, the answer to the recession question is it's not if we're going to have a recession, it's when. And they can talk about soft and hard, but I've never understood when... Uh, you're out of work, how it's a soft recession. It's a recession, end the story. And we're now seeing dramatic increases and in significant layoffs of the big companies and all the things that have to happen to really get to that point when suddenly everybody realizes we're in recession.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Do you think that being in an election year, Peter, that that changes the recession outlook?
0: Well, it, it, there's certainly been an attempt behind the scenes to, to soften it. I, my personal opinion is that's why, uh, the Fed chairman worded his view that turned the market and really accelerated it towards the end of last year. He used wording to sound like he will there'd be a lot of lower interest rates and all, but he knows he can't really commit to that at that point because he still has an inflation issue that's not back in the bottle. Now Wall Street believes it'll be put back into the bottle and made like it's never going to exist. In. Once the inflation genie is out, it's just a matter of how much more temper you can keep that genie from getting out of hand. But there is political pressure uh, and always, and I just think they, they, they take it upon themselves to feel that they don't want to influence the outcome. So maybe they don't move in one way or another more that they would have. But I don't think it's highly favorable that they're just going to manipulate the market so a certain party can win. I don't think that's the case, or at least I hope it's
2: not the case. Mm -hmm.
1: Peter you know you and I discussed a couple of the a couple of the issues let's say the biggest political issues going into this election cycle for most Americans before we started recording today so how do you see the biggest issues that most people are focused on right now well
0: unfortunately most people aren't focused on them Tom certainly not the working American and part of the reason is they're too busy trying to stay afloat I mean that's God's honest truth But I've considered five issues as critical now. And to me, to say that within three to five years, we will be in a social, political, and economic environment here in the US that will rival the Great Depression in terms of uh, people having to go through very tough times. But unlike the Great Depression, we won't have the moral backbone that the country once had to help each other. And it will be an inflationary exit out of it, not a deflationary exit. And those five issues are one that people tired of hearing about but it's it gets worse and worse even though they're tired of hearing it that, and that's the, the debt level 34 trillion now congressional budget office we're going to 50 trillion in 10 years now they're down to seven or eight years how do we start to pay the interest expense on that it could be as much as half of revenue from last year from what the government did the second problem and it's a combined issue a retirement crisis and an aging issue 65% of Americans are not Uh, able to save and only can go paycheck to paycheck. They are going to become more of a burden. They're going to look for more government assistance as they get older and have to continue working and so forth. And then there's going to be a battle between those who are young and being taxed higher and higher and saying, why is these older people getting all these special medical coverages that we're paying through the nose? And those older people going, well, I worked real hard and I'm do it. The third, which is moving up close to becoming the number one in the last few weeks, Tom, is the immigration invasion. Now, I'm not here to discuss the political aspects of it. I'll just say this. Yes, I'm certain there's bad people coming through. But even if most of the people are just regular people just trying to leave a very, very bad situation because they heard somewheres where it's better, remember, they're all coming with just their shirts on the back. They're only bringing liabilities. They're not bringing assets. And that's going to add to the burden, some of the things that we already have. The fourth then is the one that Wall Street just stops at now. Just Tom, they just, if you try to have any discussion, I still have a few friends at a mainstream Wall Street and they laugh when I bring this up and I tell them, listen, the bricks and what they're doing within three to five years is going to be more to world trade and how it happens and doesn't happen as the industrial revolution impacted world trade. And they look at me and go, what are you crazy? And I go, Trust me, it's, it's coming. And then the fifth, which you would hope was fixed because all these other issues I spoke about will be put into their laps. And that's the political paralysis we now have. Not only do we have two parties that can't work with each other, but we have people within each party who can't work with each other. So it's, it's impossible. And, and Tom, I don't have any product or service from what's left of my livelihood that benefits from taking this. And as I told you before we started, for our planning group, with every 10 people I sit down with and share this story, nine look to see how they can get out of the room. And one stays and says, Yeah, I agree with you. What can I do about it?
1: Well, absolutely. It's something I think that is a very uncomfortable, you know, truth to look at. But we need to be, you know, looking at it and analyzing it and trying to understand what the best way to preserve our wealth and mitigate some of the damage that is coming for most Americans and most people around the world, I think. But I'd like to pick up on a thread that you mentioned earlier here. You you said that Wall Street thinks that the Fed is going to be able to put this inflation genie back in the bottle. Why do you think that Wall Street believes that? Is it because of the market that has trained all of these financial advisors that are now in that business?
0: I'm going to answer sarcastically, but it's the God's honest truth as far as I'm concerned. I believe you can take the average financial advisor from the simple one that's working in some brokerage firm all the way up to the talking heads that you'll see on the major networks all the time. You can toss them off the Empire State Building and all the way down, they'll all say the same thing. Hey, so far, so good. <laughs> and that's the attitude they have it. And here's why I know that for a fact. What propelled me into the national stage. 30-something years ago, I'm about to celebrate, 40 years ago, was when I wanted was a head of a market strategist for a New York stock exchange firm. I forecasted a crash, and they told me retracted or resigned. And they went into the reasons, and they gave very valuable reasons from a sales standpoint of view. I'm convinced, knowing that's the case, that the biggest known strategist we know for the biggest firms that we see on TV all the time could have the angel Gabriel visit them in the middle of the night, tell them, God has sent me to tell you the market's about to crash. They would go down to their office and be told, there's no way you can make that as a recommendation to people. So I always believe there's a, I call it the don't worry, be happy crowd. That's how I've, those people, there's an extreme bias. As much as there's a bias in some of the hard asset group, I know people who've been 40 years telling me silver's going to 300, The world's coming to an end, and all it's the same in the Wall Street end. But people, it's more palatable; it's more acceptable. People will always be more optimistic than pessimistic. They'll always think a dollar stock can go to a hundred, but never think about a hundred dollar stock could fall all the way down to a
1: dollar. Well, you know, part of that way of investing could also propel the stock market down quicker and further because. There's a lot of these people that aren't necessarily looking at it or care about it the same way that they used to, you know, 40 years ago when people, you know, worked a lot harder and had to have a better understanding for what they were investing in. Is that accurate? So Tom, when I started 40
0: years ago, 90% of the trade volume, which at that time only took part on two exchanges, the New York Stock Exchange and the Amex, was uh, retail investors. And they were really in the markets just to be part owners of various businesses. Mm -hmm. Some would sell because they thought they did well. Others thought that that company could do even better. And that's what the stock market was really created for, a place where part ownerships of businesses can trade. Well, first of all, 40 years later, if you watch any of those networks that show you people still sitting at that exchange, well, that might as well be a museum. Most of the trading is not happening at the New York Stock Exchange anymore. Mm Also. Uh, over half the money now in investments in the stock market is in passive funds. It is people that have put money in with usually others to manage it and to manage it against some sort of index performance or some sort of uh, sector or what have you. It's not, the manager's not each day trying to figure what he needs or she needs to buy or sell that makes up the fund and so forth and so on. The other half of the money that's in markets right now I estimate between 75 and 85% of it is is being driven by computer algorithm programs, which may be very simple where they're just buying or selling based on news headlines and words in the headlines. There's some very sophisticated, quantitative, gamma, all sorts of things that are hard to spell yet, let alone to understand what it means. And only a small percentage now is really what what the market was like 30 or 40 years ago. And I bring that up for a couple of reasons, because you're absolutely right. When we become so narrow-focused and so driven in really just a couple of ways, if there's reasons for those type of people to change their views or or do the opposite, it will be accelerated very quickly because there won't be that underlining support that be looking there to step in there. But I also try to explain that to people who are older like me, who still try to invest based on Factors or fundamentals from 30 or 40 years ago. They don't exist because the board game itself has changed. Mm-hmm. So I think that's a very, very important thing to understand here. And for me, I don't think the market is anything more than a very sophisticated and highly technical casino. And the house, all the casinos I've ever known, if they're smart, they end up winning. And I don't think it's going to be different here. And that's why I think more investors will come out on the short
1: side than they will on the long side in terms of success when it comes to the stock market. Mm -hmm. So Peter, how do you see the growing debt issue? And and going back to my earlier question about what most people are concerned about politically, should this be one, if not the biggest issue on people's minds?
0: Well, it it should be. Um, When you have a government that now, you and I just spoke that just the day before we recorded this, this market suddenly took off in the afternoon because the the government announced that, hey, good news. Instead of having to borrow 820 billion, we only have to borrow 760 billion. Well, Wall Street said, that's fantastic. We still have to borrow 760 billion for just three three months to, to run the country. And at that rate, that's a $3 trillion plus deficit. Now You have to understand when I started, we didn't even have a trillion dollars in national debt. Now we have multi-trillion dollar yearly deficits and the growth of the debt is so off the charts now that the Congressional Budget Office that just less than a year and a half ago predicted 50 trillion in 10 years now believes we can get to that 50 trillion as little as seven years. So let's say that they're right or close to right and there's a 50 trillion dollar debt. Interest rate four or five percent, not very high historically. That's about two and a half trillion dollars in interest expense. Tom, last year was the best year for the government ever from revenue, little over five trillion. Mm-hmm. Now some of that will grow, you know, over these next five or six years. But on average, we're going to be looking at almost half of our income going to interest expense. Can't exist. You cannot function as people who have grown this country to be as. When half of your money is going to pay interest expense, and let me make one other side note: another negative, which a long line of negatives, thanks to this current administration, the Biden administration has decided to start forgiving some student loan debts. And some people I know go, "That's that's nice. Probably those people need that help." And I say, and you go out and ask a hundred financial advisors all around the country. So, what's the largest U.S. Uh, asset that we own? Almost none of them will get the right answer. And that's student loans. There's more student loans on the asset side of our ledger in the United States than any other asset. Well, if we're now starting to forgive it, and I won't even begin to argue why I tell you we shouldn't be doing that because people like me who paid their kids' way to college now are going to make up for people that aren't living up to the debts and they're going to tax me more because now that money's not available. So I kind of pay for it twice. Mm -hmm. But if that's the attitude, where does it stop, Tom? Is the next thing, well, there's certain people that are behind on their mortgages. Oh, look at these car loan people. So it, it it's a Pandora's box that's been opened. And, and let me add one other thing, Tom. Perhaps the most single thing outside of what we spoke about that's important that I would love to share with you today, which I'm sure you you personally are already aware of. We now have about seven states, and Vermont is leading in this right now, actively trying to put into legislation a wealth tax. Now It sounds good at first, tax the billionaires or tax the wealthy, but also included at that is to me, the biggest, dumbest, stupid idea that this country may have ever had. And that is to tax unrealized capital gains. Mm -hmm. So I give people an example. You bought a stock at a dollar in January. It did great. It's $2 on December 30th. As far as the government is concerned, come December 31st and you still own it, They now want you to pay tax on that gain, even though you haven't taken it. Now, January, bad news on that company, Tom, goes back to a dollar. You now have to write a check in April for a gain that's gone. It's, It's like telling somebody halfway through a race and because the horse is in the lead, that's the one you're going to make the winner and everybody else loses. I mean, it's just... It's preposterous and it's gaining momentum. You know why, Tom? Because they have to find ways to keep taxing and find more and more money because we keep spending more than we take in.
1: Well, you know, I think that's the biggest way to help people understand this is, you know, the national debt seems so esoteric and in a way non-consequential for people. So this is a way that, you know, these rising taxes everywhere, at some point, you're going to be affected by this. And that is, I think, the best way for most people to understand it, right? It it has to hit the person directly. i
0: give you an example, the immigration. The immigration a few years ago was the same as now. People were flooding over, but we looked on our news and we saw it was a couple of states and didn't seem to be acting impacting me in my day-to-day life. Okay, Then it accelerated when these governors got smart and started to send these people to places around the the country. And suddenly those places that originally said, oh, we're here to help everybody as soon as these people showed up. Sorry, we can't help you or try a way not to. But now it's starting to impact people daily. We're witnessing where schools are being, uh, children are being taken out of school so immigrants could be placed in there. Places that were built in places in Maine and under war for low to middle income are now being immigrants are being put in and homeless and veterans are being taken out. Now it's impacting individuals. And it's probably going to take that to where people finally sign. But, but Tom, by the time the average person realizes the true problems with this debt, it's going to be way too late. There's not going to be really anything they can do. And they're going to expect those people in Washington to solve or fix the issue. The very people like, a, God is here and now can't even get along with each other, let alone the other side.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: It's, a, it's a horror story, Tom. If I was making a horror movie and, and didn't want to show blood, I'd just have to show what's really happening because it's worse than any horror story, a movie that Wall
1: Street, uh, Hollywood can make.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So, Peter, as we're talking about all of the debt that we're accruing right now, what effect is that going to have on the bond market? And, you know, the knock-on effect's of monetary and fiscal policy as well,
0: well, that opens another door we 're noticing significant uh, drop in interest of our debt outside the United States. Part of that is because the BRIC nations that are going to be more and more don 't want to have any involvement with the United States, including ha- owning their debt and we're also watching that it is becoming more challenging. Uh, to fund this because we have to create more and more of this funny money out of out of it it it's so funny money and i, I just wish the average american can understand how we've gotten to this and 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 all of this because people still tom i still meet people very sophisticated people people of means people that have done very well in businesses and they think there's still money sitting out there that's going to pay Medicare and Medicaid and Social Security and all and yet They don't understand the ramifications. So uh, let's put it this way. There was people, there still are a handful that keep talking about, we're going back to 2% rates and 2% uh, inflation. Can't happen. And one of the other reasons, Tom, other than the genie out of the bottle is, as less and less people around the world use the dollar, like the BRIC nations are doing, those dollars still exist. Mm -hmm. They don't go away. So what do they do? They come back to this shore, and then you have the typical inflationary pro- problem of too many dollars chasing too few products. So uh, I don't see the bond market getting back anything to what it once was. It can be at times lesser or two evils, especially now. I certainly wouldn't put my life savings or my count on my retirement into some of the NASDAQ things now, uh, given what they could lose in value. And I'd sooner take the risk of just taking a four or five percent T bill or T note for a few years. I think that's far lesser of the two evils.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, you
1: know, as we're talking about, let's say, the value of the US dollar and the value of the US debt, you mentioned the BRICS and its growth earlier. So how do you see the progression of that system? Are things going to change slowly and then all at once, Peter?
0: There's another commentator. And I don't want to steal this thunder because he was at least the original person. Maybe he took it from somebody else, but his name is Andy Sheckman. And he does this presentation about drip, 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 boom. And that's how they're proceeding with it. They're moving forward. They're establishing all the things that they need to do, banks, understandings, things of that nature. They've begun to trade away from the dollar. They'll be building more uh, countries into it. And then one day, like you said, boom. The recognition is, and then by then it, by then it's too late. Uh, same thing. And I don't want to switch out, but it is an important thing is it's just look what's happened with gold trading in a few years times. We move from the dominance of London and New York to Asia. There's no question now, especially on the physical market. Uh, Asia is growing more and more as the place where demand and people are going to. We even had the London Metals Exchange now talk about they need to get into Hong Kong and open up there because the the power is leaving the West in a lot of ways. The United States is not the only one facing that. So I, I just think that uh they like to stay out of the news. I you know they'll do their thing and let everybody think it's hunky dory with the United States. And uh they just keep moving forward and forward. And something that was just laughed at When they first formed, now when 30 and 40 countries are saying that they want to join and the Saudis not only have joined, but for the first time ever said that they would publicly take something other than dollars, that will be looked back as historians as the watershed effect. And part of that watershed effect happened, Tom, because of how Biden handled it and how he mishandled the relationship with the Saudis. But that's, we'll leave that for historians.
1: Mm -hmm. Well, Peter, is the brick something that the U.S. should try to find a place in? Should we be trying to work together with that system to find a way to coexist?
0: Well, the, the main reason that
1: they have
0: moved away from us is because they don't believe in the way that we, we see the future or how we act in that future. And uh, that's also, and I'm sure you've had many more distinguished guests for me to speak about it, and it's probably above my pay scale, but empires and how the history has shown of how has empires grown from Roman to the Dutch to Great Britain and now the US. And we're in that time frame now where basically on average, they turn over and somebody else becomes that. So I, I, I don't think they're looking for coexistence even, at least the BRICS aren't. I think they're looking to become the place and uh, too bad, United States. We, we can live without you. We don't want to live under your thumb. And let's be honest, in some ways, the United States had an aggressive thumb, uh, militarily, economically, so forth and so on. And uh, I think the final straw for them is, is how uh, not only how we left Afghanistan and left our so-called allies, but what we did regarding the Russia situation. And they didn't want to be have to be put in that same position down the road.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, you know, as a as a giant trading partner, to me, it would make sense to be able to have some type of a relationship on a more equal footing than they have in the past. Yeah, I think, Tom, again,
0: I've learned the only one thing, if you try to see the future through a crystal ball, you're only going to learn how to eat a lot of broken glass. But <laughs> my best guess is that once it does become apparent and we're actually losing, that's when the United States will knock on their door and say, how, how can we work with this? How can we uh, How can we be a better friend and, and so forth? But we're not even we're not even close to that. We still think, or well, we have a group in Washington that thinks we're the world dominating effect and press a button, send some airplanes, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And we're long past that stage. And quite frankly, when I look at some of the people that make up the military, and many of them dressed as women or believe they're women, and all this kind of stuff, I don't know if we have even the same military force that we once had, or the ability to to handle things. And that's important because. In world trade, there's an old saying: whoever whoever controls the seas controls world trade. And there's no question now that the once dominating U.S. Navy and all its powers is no longer that case. And so, all the things point to uh, the United States ending on the short end of the stick when it comes to world trade down the road, Tom. Mm-hmm.
1: So, as this change occurs, Peter, do you see less demand for U.S. stocks as well? from the rest of the world.
0: Well, it's interesting you say that because uh, while my job is just macro with our planning group, I have noted since the new year began that for those who do want to look at equity, non-U.S. stocks valuations are compelling compared to U.S. valuations. And in some instances, the spread has never been greater in certain emerging market valuations versus the U.S. So. If one wanted to be in general equities, for me personally, I don't if they're not resources, but for those that do, uh, there's certainly far less risk or at least better valuations based on historics outside the U.S. The problem is it's kind of like a, it's kind of like a pyramid game. We still have all these players here that make up these, the financial service industry in the U.S. And they all think the same way and basically tell the same story. They may paint it different and use different actors for their commercials. But at the end of the day, they're all creating the same thing. We got this beautiful black box. Come with us. It'll fix everything that you need to reach, whatever your goals are. Mm -hmm. It's when those people then themselves get hit and, and there's a substantial drop and it stays down. Right now, we have a financial service industry that basically has learned to drive on a one way street. There's never been an extended period of time when buying and keep buying didn't end up working out. So you keep doing that. The problem will be is when things start to go more of a sideways, which I think we're in because for the last two years, we we're basically flat. And even though a certain segment of this current U.S. stock market time is up, a good part of it's not. And that's an early indication, uh, fair warning to those that are betting the ranch, so to speak, on U.S. stocks right now. Unless this rally broadens and we see more types of companies participating, it's probably more dangerous now than it's been in quite a while, even though it can still go on for a little bit
1: longer. Mm -hmm. So Peter, what do you see as the best path or a couple of the different paths to preserve wealth at this point?
0: Well, you, you say a very good point, as you always do, Tom. One of the reasons I enjoy speaking with you. I believe now it's far more important for capital preservation than capital appreciation. No matter what your situation is, there was a period of time when you can go gung-ho for capital appreciation. Uh, I don't think that's the case now. I think uh, conserve first and then figure out what, if any, you can put at risk for that capital appreciation And we could discuss where possibly that could be. But I really think preservation, especially the older you are, uh, because you're not going to have that recovery that a much younger person could have. If, if we do get this bad period, you won't live long enough to see the recovery. The second thing I think is, and this is tough for people, and it took me 20 of my 40 years, Tom, to get to it. And that is less is more. To to, to really live, I could, if I so choose, Tom, live in a bigger house and maybe have a better car, but it'd be far more expensive. And 20 years ago, I didn't care about that. It was important. What if what are people going to think? Look at my car. Look at me. Uh, I really think a less is more attitude. Uh, we don't need all the things. George Collin did the greatest single skit ever about that too much stuff. It's worth watching. And then the third and most important thing is I've taken an attitude to be a live chicken versus a dead duck. I don't think you need to be a hero here, Tom. I really think it's okay to to be to be not the first kid to jump off the mountain into the water. Let's see if the other kids jump and survive before we decide to do it. And I think once you've taken that and set that up, then there's, for those portion that can't afford some sort of capital appreciation, there are still, I think, ways of doing it, but they're very narrow. To me, it's strictly within the natural resource world. Uh, Only there is where I'm personally uh, seeking to to try to turn a dollar into two, three, or four. So
1: why is that, Peter? um,
0: um, I have turned four into three, two, one. So I don't want anybody think I'm only going one way.
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, that's, I appreciate that humility there. But why is it that you're only focused on natural resources? Is is that your you know overall macro view that all natural resources, or or the ones that you're focused on, are going to be the next things to appreciate in these crazy times or in this cycle?
0: So the world, Tom has not paid heed, forget the climate uh, change argument or anything of that nature, but the world has grown and has bet on growth, particularly in technology, without supporting the underpinnings that are necessary for that. And that is commodities. That's simple things like food, you know, water. And then if we're going to use technology, you know, you can listen at any given time any of these experts on the talking networks talk about why technology and AI and all this is going to go. And that's all great. And then because of that, you're going to have a bigger home and a bigger car and you're going to enjoy life and make a lot of money. But the metals that are needed to support all those things have been in somewhat of a neglect mode for well over a decade. Mm-hmm. Certainly, when I was more involved in the metals and mining industry, both on the money management side and then at the corporate communication side. Uh, far less percentage of what used to go in compared to what went elsewhere has gone into these things. And at the same time, it's become far more difficult for those who still operate in that world to go and find and develop that, whether because there's certain places you just can't go because of the risk, political, uh, economic, social, whatever it may be. And also some of the easiest of those deposits that make up those metals have been used up. Mm-hmm. And so it, to me, if you're gonna just buy the argument that life continues somehow and some of these things and this greening effect and all works and all this other stuff, commodities are are, are going to be in great demand. And there there isn't a ready ample supply when you start to look at the different ones. Normally in past cycles, there was always enough copper that all right, copper's allowed to go down because you know th- there's still a plenty of places we can get it and deliver it and satisfy everything. It's not the case now, and it's not the only metal that faces that. So that's my main reason for it. The second is I understand it or have found and or have found somebody I think that truly understands it versus trying to invest in areas that I don't have any expertise in or have identified anybody that did. And it just makes natural sense that commodities, which if you look now, In many comparisons to general equity markets and all, have never been cheaper, or the ratio has been either close to or the best it's ever been. And if you believe everything comes around and sooner or later everything goes 180, well, that's why to me it seems less risky, even though it's considered a risk area than it would be trying to now pick out the best technology stocks that still may do well.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: So, Peter, if we could, let's dive in a little bit more into those particular natural resource areas that you are focused on is it gold is it copper silver you know what things do you find you know mostly compelling at this point well i'll tell you the market that should continue to go up but i've moved
0: away from it not because i believe it's going down but because i was one of the rare times got into something almost at the bottom Mm -hmm. that it moved so much that it was no longer undervalued in my mind. And that's uranium. Mm -hmm. I think the uranium market, the same argument that I made last year exists, but the shares, especially because I decided to focus on the producers and the people that own it, did extremely well. And when I compare that now to some, especially even major mining companies, let alone the junior segment that's looking for the golds, the silver, the coppers, the zinc, they're just incredibly cheap, just like these uranium producers were a few years ago. So uranium would have been the answer in 2023. For me, it's not, even though I still think it can go up. Mm -hmm. So gold remains amply the the single best because I think the demand for it and the physical demand is going to continue to go. The second one would probably be copper, Tom. Although I think we should now not buy fully into this greening argument where just a few years ago, everything looked like a slam dunk. Everybody was going to have an electrical car. Everywhere you go, there was going to be a windmill and a solar plant and all that. I think we're starting to realize, even if you want to still believe that, to get there, it's not going to be as easy or as quick as many people thought. But even with that the case, even if you only give it half the credit that you might have given it a year ago, the fundamental argument for copper is very, very bullish. So I guess copper would be uh, the second choice. I think uh, lithium now has come down enough to where you can look at it again. Uh, I also think, you know, there's people into this lithium battery argument and they don't realize without phosphate, the lithium battery don't work. But that's a very small market. There's a company I'm involved with there. And then I think the... the, the, uh, the, the the various base metals that need to exist. But Tom, I've done two things. It's very important for me. One, I've limited my investment area to North America. The economic, social, and political risks now are too high for me uh, elsewhere. And the, the, the straw that broke the camel's back was what happened in Panama mm-hmm. uh, with a major producer. Uh, and mm-hmm. I've also limited my focus because I believe I identified somebody that unlike me has a much more brilliant mind in this industry, and then has all the other ingredients that I never found anybody else have honesty, humbleness, puts their own money where the mouth is intelligence, and a man of fate. And so whatever that gentleman is doing, always interests me as well. Mm-hmm. But uh, I still think that if you are Fairly diverse, that you don't bet on any one company and, and have a portfolio of these things now. I do believe that that dream of five to 10 to 20 baggers is, is real now. And as bad as this market was, Tom, and I had a I had the, the best year in uranium last year, and I had the worst year ever, period, for investing in the juniors. I think as bad as it was the last
2: year or two, the next year or two will more than make up for those bad years. Mm-hmm. So is it a broad gold
1: bull market that you, why you place that kind of at the top of your list and that, you know, maybe continued demand from central banks, you know, what are some of the reasons that you like gold so much right now? Well, my
0: favorite comedian was Rodney Dangerfield. Young people would have to look it up to know who he is, but Rodney Dangerfield. Let let me
1: guess, because it doesn't get any respect. Doesn't get any respect. (laughs) You got
0: it. (laughs) And it doesn't. It's treated like a relic. Wall Street, the investment community, treats it as if it's kryptonite. And it is because it goes against what they have mostly everybody into their eyeballs, you know, financial assets, with no exposure at all to even offset it. And it also somehow managed to work for a couple thousand years. So I think that's a smart thing if you're a person, use something that's worked for quite a while. And here's the question you can ask 100 advisors right now especially those that have only been in the business since 2000 and going forward, which is the majority of them, what has performed better since January 1st, 2000? Gold or the stock market? 99 out of 100 will add the stock market. Mm-hmm. And the truth of the matter is gold has outperformed the stock market. And yet so few people have uh, ownership to it. But the underlying fundamentals to it, besides those that we just noted, is the continuing increased demand for it. It's obvious that the countries in the world that are, are unifying, or at least where growth can be more hopeful, continue to see their central banks uh, accumulating it, and that can only be because it's not for a trade or or just speculation. It's because somehow they envision it becoming used in the monetary system. Whether there's a total change in a reserve currency, an alternative, or even just among themselves, they will find a way to use gold to make it a more worthy currency or medium, whatever they use for an exchange, than the U.S. dollar, which is backed by
2: absolutely
1: nothing. Mm -hmm. Peter, something I've gotten a lot of guests to comment on is why they think that the miners were so undervalued compared to the metal that has really held in there quite well, as, as a lot of people would consider even those that don't necessarily love gold. So, what is your take on why the miners have been so undervalued?
0: Well, first of all, it's it, it, it's it's never uh it's never in the investment world on their buy list. It's just <laughs> not that some analysts. Don't get me wrong. Some of the big producers, some of the firms, will assign an analyst to follow a couple of the bigger producers, but it's never the exposure. But but. The industry that I worked in has radically changed in the last 10 or 15 years compared to when I was both the money manager and then on the corporate communication side. And let me give you some of the examples. First of all, they just had a perhaps one of the most popular retail mining shows that take place every year just took place in Vancouver. And, and it was, I understand, extremely well attended, some bright spots of younger people being there and so forth and so on. But at those shows and the shows that used to take place around the world, used to be a lot of retail financial advisors or what we used to be called back in the old days stockbrokers. And they themselves built book of businesses on different mining companies and juniors. And so if you got one investment advisor involved with your company, you got their 200 to 500 clients involved with that. That's a dinosaur. There still may be a handful of financial advisors that are Making a living buying and selling stocks and charging full commissions or near full commissions, but that doesn't exist. So one of the things that happened to the mining industry, and particularly when you went down the food chain to the juniors, it became much more challenging them to market their wares for that reason. The second reason has been compliance. Basically in the United States brokerage community, even with some discount brokers now, let alone full service, don't even allow unsolicited Buys of junior resource stocks that may have an OTC symbol, but trade up in Canada. Very big hit. And then the regulatory. Uh, companies are so limited, especially, again, on the lower end of the food chain, where mostly it's hope. We're, we're hoping to find something. They can hardly say anything about that hope. And so it, it's not as attractive. And then the biggest single killer, and this is hard for people to accept and even old gold guys like me to accept, The cryptocurrency market took a significant chunk of money that used to go in, would have went into the metals, and particularly in the mining shares and the juniors, and now go there. And in fact, if they're under 30 or 35, they scoff at me. I mean, I get called every name in the book. I get all these emails from these people when I don't say such great things about Bitcoin. I'm sorry, Bitcoin. I call it Bitcoin. Uh, So- the operational and development part of a company, which is challenging enough, and then throw in the other things that you and I spoke about, certain areas of the world where you can't go, cost rising, the inflation the, uh, to operate if you are a mining company at all, all lessen the appeal that used to exist 20 or 30 years ago. But prices now of these companies have been marked so low in the sense of going out of business sale that isn't going out of business.
1: Mm -hmm. You know, we touched on just briefly the uranium market, Peter, and of course, we've had a major appreciation in that market here. So do you think more caution is warranted at this point and a steady, steady but higher uranium price is going to be better overall for that market than a, you know, a blow off top like the last market top we saw?
0: I don't see how uranium prices fall any substantially anytime soon. Uh, other energy sources that people a few years ago thought were slam dunks are running into trouble. The electrification being one, uh, the wind, uh, even some extent solar. And unless there's a terrible accident again that scares everybody about having a nuclear plant, What's changed, Tom, is if you 20 or 30 years ago talked to a United States senator and said, listen, I'm thinking of building a nuclear plant in your state, not in my lifetime. Now that same senator goes, please, can you build it and build it fast? Because we have a problem providing power and p- providing inadequately. So I don't think the fundamental underlying argument for uranium is going away.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: I the, the things The two main things that got me to finally take profits and then put that money to work in, in, in the gold and copper and the juniors and all in the last few days was, A, it became very noisy. It was a it was a market three years ago that the few people who still remained or talked about it just talked like this and hope nobody heard them and to remind them in the last 10 years that they've been calling it to go up and it didn't. And now just about everywhere you turn, there's lots and lots of people bullish on it and hard to find a bear on it. And that always concerns me. I've never been across. Tom, if, there's, if, there, if this is a fault of mine, it's that I've always been too early. But one of the things a great trader told me years ago was, it's better to be a few years too early than a day too late. And uh, but A, and then B, I just think that while we can still see a higher price there's not the leverage anymore. The, the producers and the and the people that own the physical bullion are nicely priced. They're not very overvalued, but they're not cheap anymore. Mm-hmm. And when I look outside of uranium and look at the other metals, they're cheap and some are very cheap. So for me, it was more of a valuation and take, take profits, not because I think the market is turning down some. I still think there's a reasonable chance for uranium price to get as high as 150. But we're starting to also know, and this was another reason why I moved out of my favorite stock. And they're probably one of the best run companies I've ever ran into in any industry, and that's Camco. But one of the issues they have, and potentially a few other producers are out there, is the price has gone up so far so fast. They don't have the ability to deliver on some of the contracts, and they got to go into a spot market where there isn't there's very limited supply. And I think that's helped push the price. And I think if that works out, we may not keep getting the same elevation or the rate of elevation that we had in last year. So for all things equal, and the fact that everything that we touched was either up 100% to 500%, and that old story about it doesn't count until it's sold, is absolutely correct. Because I remember a lot of things that went up 500%, and a year later, I was putting a certificate on my wall.
1: Well, hopefully, you know, there are some people that are going to be able to do the same both in the uranium and the gold industry in this cycle that comes.
0: Tom, let me just say this. I'm not saying this is a top in uranium stocks, Mm -hmm. but just for me, I couldn't, I have this philosophy, Tom. It was given to me by somebody many years ago, great, great wall street person long since passed, but still valuable to what he said. And his view was Pete, you should start to sell when you couldn't first buy doesn't mean you sell, But if you couldn't first today forget whatever the story was, could you take the money today and first buy it and have the same attitude you had then when you first buy it? For me, that's not the case. So that was one of the first reasons to move on. But I'm not here to say that they bought. you know, they can still go up, but there are other areas that I feel have more percentage chance of going up, more higher gains and less risk of principal now, as much as crazy as how low that junior resource market is. I do believe that's the case.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, absolutely. It's not. I don't think that you're saying that it's at a top. And I think it's interesting to try to really look at that market and now being able to retrospectively look at it, try to understand, you know, the fundamental deficit issue that we had for so long, when that started to really matter, and what actually drove this market up. I think. A big part of it was just those pounds being taken off of the open market and that shortage really being recognized by both the utilities and the rest of the investors that were looking at that market, right?
0: Great, Tom. I could have said it better myself. And when people say, well, when will you know it tops? When the physical people, because remember, as good as they've made profits, it won't count until they sell that, mm-hmm. if and when those groups start to sell, even if it's not a lot at the beginning, that may be another bell for the people that remain in the uranium. Because you're right, taking that and bringing out these companies to buy this physical uranium and just store it over here, help make the difference and propel those utilities now to have to step up and aggressively. But that lessening of each one of them doing that will probably be another line. It's certainly not happening at this moment, but that's a good point to make for those that want to remain in it, to use as a flashing yellow sign. Mm -hmm.
1: Excellent, Peter. Well, I think that's a good place to wrap up for today. Is there anything else that you'd like to leave our listeners with before we do?
0: Well, that your palisades radio that I listen to every interview you do, may it have a long and cheerful life, whether or not I'm ever on it again, know that it's a very, very worthy service time. really say that with most
1: sincerity. Well, I appreciate that, Peter, and we'll definitely have you back again. Of course, for anybody that wants to see more of your interviews, more of your work, that's all available at petergrandich.com, and of course, on Twitter as well, at Peter Grandich, right?
0: Yeah, and there's a YouTube channel where I put up interviews like this, and I even do a few of my own.
2: Perfect. Excellent, Peter. Thanks so much for your time today. Thank you, Tom. God bless. This podcast is for general
1: informational purposes only. Nothing on this podcast should be taken as investment advice. Guests on this show are not compensated for their appearance. Listeners are urged to educate themselves and make their own decisions. Do not base any investment decisions on the information contained. To view our full disclaimer, please visit our website.